Welcome to the podcast of River City Community Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.rivercitychicago.com. Thank you to the worship team. Samuel, this is the uh, debut for this instrument, right? Is this the first week? I'm going to show both my cultural ignorance and musical instrument, or musical ignorance, but I don't know what that's called. What is that called? Percussion. <laughs> Percussion. <laughs> I feel so educated. Thank you. Well, I'm glad to have that part of, the, part, of the, part of the experience. Thank you. Let's thank the worship team for leading us. They feel the same thing we do. It's cold and wet and yucky in the middle of April, and so we're all fighting to have energy on this day. We can all feel it together, but we're going to all keep fighting through together, right? Well, we are um, in a new series coming out of Easter. We actually started last week, but diving into a new way this week. Um, say it with me, two-word series, two-word name for the series. We're calling it Same Power. And it's built off of, there's this word that's recurring in the New Testament. It comes up over and over and over again. It's really a fast, it's, it's just such a cool word. It's what we, English translate power, but the word in Greek is dunamis. Say that with me as well, dunamis. What English word do you think we get from dunamis? <laughs> yeah, I thought that would be more straightforward than it was. Dynamite would be probably, that would be one of them at least, right? Dunamis, dynamite, you kind of hear it in there, right? There was like six different things, so I'm sure you were all right. We'll just, uh, you were all right in that answer. But I'm thinking of dynamite when I'm thinking of that one, right? That, that's the same root that we get the word dynamite from. So there's this just cool notion that comes up many times in the New Testament that um, part of the divine reality is this dunamis, this dynamite, and it's used regularly. Um, it's directly tied to the resurrection. We're going to actually look at this passage in a minute today. In, um, in, Ephesians, in Ephesians 1, the Apostle Paul says that this dynamite, this spiritual power, is what God used to raise Jesus from the dead. So that there's this exertion of power, and Jesus Christ is raised from the dead based on the exercise of this dunamis, of this dynamite. And then Paul says that this same dunamis, this same dynamite, the same spiritual power is available to us by faith. And so the hope of this series over these few weeks is to try to be, I don't know, as practical as possible to try to say, you know, it's, it's such a, uh, when you write a book on empowerment, right, when, when, when somebody writes a book on empowerment, those tend to be bestsellers if they're done well because we all want to be empowered, right? We all want to know how to live with a greater sense of power. And while I'm not saying the Christian view is the only way to look at power, it's certainly when you're, the starting point is that there's a spiritual power in the heavenly realm that's available to us, that becomes really critical, right, to understand what that looks like. So we started off last week. <clears throat> I like the way we did it. We did it in a testimonial style. Wasn't that great last week for those of us who were here? Uh, we had Judith and Rebecca and Kim, all who are here today, um, all who are fight, in the fight of their lives, fighting against cancer, share their story of um, finding God's goodness and finding God's power in the midst of that struggle. And it was so powerful on so many accounts. But one of the things I liked about that is it's a great way to begin to think about how power works, right? Power, while it can be this dynamite that happens in a moment, that's rarely how the power of God happens, right? It's usually happening in significant but unseen ways. It's often looking back that you see that it was happening more even than always in the moment, right? It, it, it's not always tangible in the, in the moment, but, but God's power helps us to overcome, helps us to become more, helps us to see things we couldn't see otherwise. And so um, I, I'm feeling, I, I think what we're going to look at today is very important. And so this is, this is going to kind of really ground the idea of this series. It's Ephesians chapter one. So if you've got your Bibles electronically or in print, if you want to grab them, it'll be on the screen. We're going to do Ephesians chapter one. 
We're going to look at this idea of dynamite, of spiritual dynamite, of dunamis. And he, he, this is kind of a teaching embedded in a prayer. And we're going to read this together. So let's stand together. This is Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 15 through 23. So this is um, a prayer at the beginning of this letter to the church in Ephesus. And here's what the Apostle Paul says slash prays for this church. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all his people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same. It's the same power as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, in every name that can be invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness, I just lost my Bible, the fullness of him who falls everything, who fills everything in every way. And all God's people said, amen. That's the word of God. You may be seated. So this is the so we just saw it there that 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 he's saying this is the same power the same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand is available to us and so this is a, this is an important passage and I found myself reading it and then stepping back and asking this question if I was going to pray for a group of people that I loved if I was going to pray I love you so let's say if I'm, I'm praying for a group what if, if if I could apply power to anything in somebody's life what would I pray for power for. And it's a little bit easier if you kind of turn it around to yourself. I think all of us could find very specific things where we need the power of God to be applied in our lives. And I don't think there's anything at all wrong with praying for and wishing for the power of God to be applied to certain areas in our life. But what's fascinating to me about this passage, and we can, I think, miss how significant it is with just a quick glance. Really, what the Apostle Paul is praying for, the greatest sage we have, as he prays for this community, what he's praying for is the thing that, if you get it, flows to every other area of life. Right? It's, it's the most central, it's the cornerstone of everything else. The Apostle Paul is praying for this community. He's praying that the power, the dynamite, the dunamis of God would be applied. And when he cuts it all the way to the middle, when, he, when he's praying for that which is most important in their life, he prays that the people of Ephesus would have a knowledge of God, that would have a knowledge of the love of God in their lives. That there is nothing more important, nothing more central, nothing more significant than to experience the power of God in the context of relationship with God. And I'm not going to read this one, but you might want to flip back and forth between this and chapter 3 because there's another great prayer at the end of chapter 3. And he, he does it again in chapter 3. He uses the exact same word, a power, and he even more explicitly ties it to love. Um, in chapter 3, he says, um, I'm praying that out of the glorious riches of God, that God would strengthen you with power, with dynamite, through his spirit, so that, my, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then it's all about love. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, 
may have that power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Right? This is what the Apostle Paul prays for, that if there's one thing, if, if he was going to have a starting point of saying, what do, where do we most badly need the power of God to be applied to our lives? It would be to experience the love of God in the context of relationship with God. Right? Now, I'm not going to pretend that my reaction to that is going to be the same as all of yours, but I'm going to kind of, out of my own life, as I was studying this, kind of share what happened with me. Because here, here's what happened. I read that. I was studying that. I've been studying all these passages where power's at. I came to that. I came to that conclusion pretty quickly that I think this is what Paul is saying, that nothing's more important than to experience that power in our ability to experience the love of God. And so here's, this is just what my honest reaction was. Well, of course, love is always the right answer, right? Love is, love is what God wants for us. That's the center. That's great. I can't do a whole sermon around that. I mean, that's like, I can say that in two sentences. Love is the center. Move on, right? Move on to something else that's interesting or insightful that illustrates how that happens in our life. And so I started kind of moving from there. And this doesn't always happen to me in prep, but what happened as I was doing it, I felt like God really kind of interrupt my thought pattern. And, and, and there was this like really significant discomfort. And I was like, why, why am I feeling so uncomfortable? And, and if I could put words to it, of course, I didn't hear the audible voice of God. But here's what I felt like God said to me. Like, there you go again. You're, you're taking the most important thing and acting like you can just kind of name it and move on as if that's all there is to it. Or we can like almost hydroplane right over the thing that's the most important thing the thing that's the, the cornerstone, the thing that you most badly, starting with me personally, this is how I felt God applying to me, the thing that you most badly need in your life, the thing that you most, uh, in, in, in the most pointed way, need the power of God applied to in your life, you're just kind of naming it and moving on as if that's all that is required to it. And then I even felt God kind of convicting. I think every pastor kind of has this tendency they have to be careful of where there's just certain things within scripture, certain themes within scripture that you're really drawn to, which almost always are right. But it's, it's such a, it's such a temptation to take things that are not the center and make them the center to take important things and put too much importance to them as well as of course, take important things and not put enough importance to them. But I even felt God saying like how dangerous you can become as a pastor. If you don't me speaking to me, don't understand the absolute centrality to this reality that God's primary objective, that God's primary desire for us, and I would add our greatest need, our greatest longing, we don't always, aren't always aware of that, but our greatest longing is rooted in this idea of needing to experience the love of God in the context of relationship with God. And so as I was sitting in this, um, I felt God kind of leading me to another passage on love, the most expansive passage on love we have, also from the Apostle Paul. You've grew up in church, you've heard it many times. If you've gone to weddings, you've heard it many times. What chapter do you think I went to to kind of meditate on the nature of love? Oh, yeah, that one came a lot faster than the Dunamis one. Right, good. Uh, yeah, First uh, Corinthians 13, um, the, the, the passive word, the whole thing is Paul talking about love. In the first three verses especially, uh, in fact, let, let's grab, before we go there, look back at Ephesians 1, what we just read. He says, I really like this word. When he's, when he's praying for them, he says in... Um, Verse 17, Paul prays, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That's a really interesting phrase, wisdom and revelation. Revelation is when you see something that you didn't see before. Revelation is when you see something more to something that you used to see, but you didn't see it all the way, which in the spiritual sense is where wisdom comes from, right? Wisdom... uh, 
wisdom is oftentimes differentiated from knowledge in Scripture. Wisdom, wisdom is more than just a body of information. It's when you really understand something in your being. And wisdom comes from revelation when you see something in a different kind of a way. And so I'm actually going to like do a real-time example of revelation for me. I have, I have read 1 Corinthians 13 many, 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 many times, and I saw some things in 1 Corinthians 13 I've never seen before. I had revelation, right? This is really it's all revelation. So here's, here's the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 13 as the Apostle Paul begins to reflect on the significance of love. Um... Sorry, the, 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 I, I think that one is, sorry, that's the 11 through 13. Can you go to the other one, Sam? The, 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 yeah, here it is. Um, sorry, those are, those are mislabeled. The, the first one is, um, this is 1 through 13, right? I'm, I'm getting that right, aren't I? I don't have it open. That's 1 through 13. Okay, right, okay. So sorry, that's mislabeled, but 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13. So here's what Paul says. He says, if I speak in human or angelic tongues, but do not have, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I boast, but do not have, I gain nothing. All right? Now, let's go ahead and just leave this up. Here, here's I've always heard this in a really, I've always experienced this passage in kind of a negative way. Like, you know, it's uh, almost like none of these things matter if you're not getting any love. But what I saw in this, in a way I've never seen before, the three things Paul names here that if you don't have love in the middle of them are dangerous are actually three incredibly important things. In fact, this is what kind of happened to me as I was reflecting on this week. I thought, there's probably not three things in the Christian life I'm meditating more on these days than the three things that Paul mentions here, right? So it's not that they're unimportant. In fact, each one's really important. Um, first, Paul kind of gets this idea of those who are really trying to understand this, the Spirit better, right? Those who are really trying to understand the ways of the Spirit of God, which is an important part of being a Christian, right? I mean, there's the reality we can see with our five senses, and then there's a whole bunch of reality that we can't see with our five senses that happens at the spirit level, right? It's a very important arena to continue to grow in, to become more sensitive. Like, how do you understand the ways of the spirit? Or how do you move in that? Not only is Paul not discrediting that, there is, he's got passage after passage after passage of talking about the importance of being in step with the spirit, in tune with the spirit. I think it's really, really important to be spirit people. So it's not a diminishment of that, but you hear what he's saying. If you try to move in the spirit, if you try to experience power in the spirit, if, if, if you move in that realm and the cornerstone, the center is not love, then it doesn't, none of it matters at the end of the day, right? All the efforts are futile at the end of the day because we missed that which is the very cornerstone that it's all built on. Or to say it positively, when we try to move in the realm of the spirit, when we try to understand the ways of the spirit, where it's always going towards the center of where it's always moving is towards a deeper experience of love. All right, to put it in charismatic terms, right? Uh, uh, you could not have a more charismatic experience with God than to come to know the love of the Father, right? This is, this is meant to be where it all is taking us towards. There is such a temptation to confuse the center with, with the way we get to the center. Do you follow what I'm saying on that? Or to say, go to the second one, um, uh, he talks about, you know, I think this is really speaking to those of us who long for knowledge, long for understanding. Um, 
enjoy thinking about theology, enjoy distilling it down, enjoy communicating it, right? Those of you who know me know, you try to talk to me too long about small talk stuff, I'm not going to last. I'm not saying that makes me a deep person, but I love sports, but if I try to talk about sports too long, I'm not going to last. I just can't stay into it, like, on a conversation. But, man, if we start chopping it up around, like, a scripture or the nature of God or what it means to live, I mean, I can just go all night on that. That's just part of who I am. I am very drawn to those kind of conversations. And I really think this is what Paul's getting to in that second one. Those who long understand the mysteries of God. But he says, you could actually fathom all mysteries. You could understand everything that there is to understand. And if the centerpiece of that, if the cornerstone does not manifest itself in being able to experience the love of God in a personal way in your own life, then you didn't really fathom anything at the end of the day. Right? That all fathoming, all understanding of mystery is to take us ultimately into, the deep, into a deeper experience of the love of God. You see, you see how significant that is? That we, we, you, you could spend all day philosophizing and sounding really smart, and if the end result is not a deeper experience of love for yourself and those who you, are, you're in it with you, it was, it was off track. Right? Or that third one, right? I mean, this is talking to the justice uh, aspect, justice dimension of following God. He says, right, uh, if I give all I possess to the poor, give over my body to hardship, Right? I mean, these would be things that, as you know, I think are very central to life with Christ, that the kingdom of God manifests itself where the margins are, where the suffering is, where the struggle is, that, you know, for somebody like me who's got privilege, that that's one of the greatest signs of being willing to give myself over. But again, Paul says, if the centerpiece, the cornerstone of that is not love, then it's misguided. That it's all, again, to say positive, that those are all incredibly important dimensions of life with God that help us better understand the love of God, that help us better express that love of God. That there is no more, there's no greater mystery than living into the love of God. There's no greater quest than living with a sense of God's delight over us. That that's not a step on the way to something else. That is the something else. That is where God is taking us. Right? And then come back to the other passage, if you would, Sam, um, where, where he talks in uh, 11 through 13. He finishes this thought. You know, he goes through the really important love is patient, love is kind, all that. I don't want to, I'm like minimizing. I just want to get to the end here. I'm not trying to like break down all of 1 Corinthians 13. Um, but he finishes again. I, I, I think to just make this point I'm trying to make, he says, When I was a child, I talked like, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. You can can go ahead and bring that down. Thank you. What I found to be so significant about that is You know, this is for anybody who's serious about following Jesus, for anybody in church life, we're always going to ask these questions like, what does maturity look like? What does growth look like? What does progress with God look like? And again, the way Paul approaches this, I'm not saying that there's not a lot of important attributes that go into how we think of being spiritually mature, how we think of in terms of spiritual growth. But Paul, again, centers it when he talks about this idea of going from childhood to adulthood. When he talks about this idea of progressing in the faith, it's all centered around this idea of love. That is what it means to go from childhood to, to adulthood for him. And all the other important aspects sit on that cornerstone of experiencing the love of God. And so I guess I just want to just keep saying this, the same thing in slightly different ways, that 
it doesn't matter how much revelation you get, the hardest thing in the world still is to walk in the love of God. There's nothing more simple than this idea, right? It's not complicated to hear that, and yet um, it's still so complex. There's no greater mystery than love. The whole of the Christian life is learning to accept the love of God for yourself and then learning to love others. There's not a deeper, there's not a higher, there's not a more mature. That, that is the greatest expression of faith in our love, in, in our lives, to live with this deep sense of awareness of God's love for us and then to have that be not just intellectual but to bathe our full beings, to trust that when God sees you, that by faith your sins are forgiven, that by faith you are accepted into the family of God, that God doesn't just love you but that God likes you, right? That when God looks over you, that God delights in you, that God's heart dances when God looks at you, right? There's no greater mystery than stepping into that place. And I think it's important that the Apostle Paul, in both prayers, in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3, ties it to the word power, right? Ties it to the word power. Because if it was just as easy as saying it, we could all just say it and move on our way, right? But in Ephesians 1, let's, let's come last, one last time to this passage. Sam, if you don't mind, one more time bringing up Ephesians 1. I think verse 18 is just a helpful verse for helping us remember why the power piece is so important. In verse 18, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. I just want to just kind of finish with that phrase. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. So you see what Paul is saying, right? Paul is saying that in our native condition, in our neutral condition, we don't have the eyes to see the love of God, right? That that without the power of God being made manifest in our lives, we drift back to kind of this neutral position that's unable to fully grasp the love of God. I'll use Henry Nouwen's words here. He's um, he's a mystic and thinker and, you know, just wrote wrote a lot of stuff that's helped people kind of contemplate the love of God. I think wrote one of the best books on the prodigal son that's ever been written. But he he says like this. He says, one of the greatest tragedies of the human experience is that we keep forgetting who we are. One of the greatest tragedies of the human experience is that we keep forgetting who we are, which I think is very synonymous language to what Paul is saying here in verse 18. He's saying, without the power of God being activated in our lives, our eyes, the eyes of our heart, can't see the love clearly, right? And this is, this is, oh, do I want to go off on a whole little, uh, yeah, a short little rant, uh, um, uh, it's it's because it's I have all these. So, so I'm t- I want to talk about self-help for a second. Growing up in churches, I always heard people like criticize self-help, you know, and um, so I, I'm like trying to get my own voices out of there because there's some stuff about self-help that's good. I mean, it really is amazing. When you go to the bookstore, the sections on personal empowerment or self-help, I mean, there's just an endless amount of books, right, which I think shows how badly we actually long for this, right? We're trying to get somebody to help us to live, to get outside of our own head, get outside of our own insecurities, get outside of our own fears, get outside of our own sense of not feeling love, not feeling powerful, not feeling golden, right? So there's, there, I understand why they're so successful, but as silly as this is, I've never actually looked up the definition of self-help before. So do you want to actually hear the actual technical definition of what self-help is? Humor means, say yes. Uh, self-help, self-help, straight out of the dictionary, the act or state of providing the means to help oneself without having to rely on the assistance of others. 
And I think that's so fascinating because it's like it gets to where self-help is right and it gets to where self-help is wrong and limited, right? So self-help recognizes that we need some empowerment. It recognizes that we don't have enough in there. We got to get it. But where it goes wrong is it thinks then you can go to that empty place and find what you need to get to where you need to go, right? And this is where Scripture provides such an important foundation. It's saying Scripture absolutely agrees you don't have what you need inside. It absolutely agrees that in a state of neutral, you are not going to have the firepower to overcome your insecurities and your fear and your shame that comes from knowing you're a sinner and the sense of not feeling totally loved and blessed and seen and needing some way to experience that, right? But that's where the power part comes in. That's why Paul is praying this. It's only in the presence of God that we really have the resources to step into that place because we don't possess the authority to speak to ourselves that way, right? We don't have, when you don't feel loved, you can't convince yourself you're loved just by telling yourself you're loved. You've got to come into a knowledge of the divine being who says you are loved, right? We have to access an authority that's outside of ourselves. And it's only when we access that authority that's outside of ourselves that we really actually have the chance to step into that power place. And I'd add the piece of community in here. Um, I, I don't have this in there. I, I would have put the verse in, but if you just mark this, this was in chapter 3, and I'd recommend the prayer in 3 as well for meditation this week. But in chapter 3, verse 18, when he's praying that they'd experience the power of God's love, he says, I pray that you would experience it in power together with all of God's people. Together with all of God's people. And I just want to make sure I add that too because um, this is, again, a little bit of a side, but when I was studying self-help stuff this week, even in the secular realm, one of the things that they're saying is the, the reason self-help is failing is because you can't find those resources for yourself in the context of isolation, that it really requires community, which is like fascinating when, you know, research is, is affirming that which, you know, the Bible has been claiming for a long time. So, the, so ultimately the authority comes from God. There's no question about that. But there is something about claiming the promises of Scripture in the context of community. There's something about speaking the promises of Scripture to each other in the context of community that helps drive this home in a way that you just can't do when you're looking in a mirror saying, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this, right? Uh, There's something about the Christ in you speaking into the Christ in me that helps me become aware of God's love in a way that I just can't do it in an isolated vacuum. And so if I was going to try to kind of sum all this up here at the end, the bottom line is that there is nothing we are more in more desperate need of than a consistent revelation of the love of God in the context of relationship with God. That when the Apostle Paul prays for the people he loves, this is what he prays for. And not just that, he, that they, that we would be in contact with that, what's true of ourselves that we need that, but we'd understand even more than that, that it requires power for it to take. It's interesting that both times, Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3, when Paul is hoping that the love of God will take, he attaches it to this idea of power, right? That it requires the power of God for that love to get all the way in. And so that's the part God does. We don't do any part of that. The part we do is to try to position ourselves, to posture ourselves, to put ourselves in those spaces where God's word, through worship, through the context of community, where those words are being spoken back into us. And where we're imagining the possibility of a God who not only forgives us, not only accepts us, not only welcomes us, but delights in us, whose spirit dances over us. And it just makes, even if you're not feeling it right now, it makes sense, right, that if you live from that place, or if you live from that place that you believed you were so loved, you had nothing left to prove, 
that you were so loved, you didn't have to work off the debts of all your sins, that you were so loved that you didn't have to go into the world searching for some other voice to tell you that you matter, right? If you could live from that place that the delight of God was more normal than abnormal, it would just affect every space that you're in because people who know they are loved just act differently in the world than people who don't know they're loved, right? People who are loved don't need to earn respect from everybody else. They don't have to prove stuff to everybody else. They don't have to rely in dangerous ways on the words of everybody else. They live from the centered place of the God whose spirit delights over them. And that's exactly what Paul is praying for in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3, that his people would come to know that love through a power encounter, through a power encounter with God where the, where the eyes of their heart would be opened up, revelation would sink in, and wisdom would flow from that, a wisdom that says, I am loved, and I can go into the world in that place. There's no greater mystery. You could speak in the tongues of angels, and that wouldn't really matter at the end of the day if you don't know that you're loved. Right? You can impress somebody for a minute if you speak in tongues of angels, but you're not the kind of person that God's trying to create. Right? What God wants is somebody who fathoms those deeper mysteries of love and who lives from that place. Amen? Let's invite the worship team back up. Let us grab on one more chance to, to a time of corporate worship as a way to see the face of God, to hear the voice of God, to trust that these these words are real, that this is what God intends for us. Let's stand together, if you will. On one hand, you could almost say it's simple, but on the other hand, I hope you can see the striking clarity that Scripture provides when we think about this word power. Right, the sharp clarity it provides. We would all have our own sense of what makes somebody powerful, right? We see somebody as a CEO of an organization, we say, that's a powerful person. Or we see somebody that's established themselves in Hollywood or in the music industry, we say, that's a powerful person. We see somebody has got striking good looks, we say, that's a powerful person. Right? But according to scriptures, the apex of power is when you are in contact with the God who delights in you that there is no more powerful place to live from than to know that you are truly loved, that you're truly accepted, that you are truly delighted in. That is power, and that's available to all of us. Now, it requires some revelation. It requires some wisdom. It requires a lot of encounters with God. You've got to keep coming back because as Henry Nowen says, that's a tragedy. You'll forget it. You'll forget it pretty quickly. But we, it gives clarity of where we've got to come back to. So that is our, that is our benediction. May the God of love and grace and mercy bestow upon you that revelation, that wisdom. May you walk in the power of knowing that you are God's beloved. And all God's people said, amen. Love you all. i sure.